0: not have to know what I thought I needed to know. Some Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu Tang clan. And it has been I don't even know how to describe it, but a pretty crazy time right now with all the things going on with COVID, all the protests happening. But uh actually across the pond in England, they've actually gotten back to soccer and to some sports so i have brought on my good friend daniel hong onto the podcast as we talk about the english premier league daniel welcome back or welcome first time uh on the podcast
1: yeah. i think it's been like one or two years in the making i think right <laughs>
0: we've been yeah i know we...
1: for a while
0: exactly we've been talking <laughs> about making this happen probably trying to set something up i know Daniel uh is a is a Man U fan. I'll I'll int- let him introduce himself yeah. in terms of like how he became a Man U fan.
1: Yeah, so where do we begin? Um so I think I started playing FIFA 2000 or 2001 back on a PC back in the day and then I just fell in love with Rude van Nistelrooy <laughs> and that's where it all pretty much began and then I've been following ever since, um, almost 20 years now, uh, through all the glory years, and now through some not-so-good years the past five, right. seven years or so, so. So,
0: Right. So we'll get into some of the current season, um, and obviously mm-hmm. there's some comments that I wanted to make. Rude Van Nistelrooy, very throwback name there, and Absolutely. also uh, for a Korean um, person, uh-huh. not to actually be jumping on the bandwagon of Manu during the absolutely. park years uh absolutely pre- all the years preceding that with rude van istelroy so i i'm very happy to hear that you're a non-bandwagon fan and <laughs> played on a pc that's uh that's next level fifa 01 pc yeah. that's uh pretty extreme right there so uh
1: yeah. daniel
0: welcome on to the pod excited to have you on Let's start with Man U because Man U has been, um, you know, they've had an up and down season this year and lately they've just kind of turned it on in terms of their attack, just pouring in goals. What are your feelings about this Manchester United team? And um, as we're coming up on the last five games of the season um, to kind of make a push for Europe, how are you feeling as we, get into the last five games?
1: Yeah, so I feel very confident right now, but I still want to be cautious, too, because I know uh, we can be kind of slip up on a lot of things, and our team's not the best, but I think we have the right momentum going, Um, definitely the right attacking trio. I'd love to see uh, Greenwood, Martial, and Rashford up there just uh, scoring goals left, right, and center, so uh, looking good so far, but from the way we started the season, uh, we definitely a rough patch um we've got some stupid like losses at home to like i think like burnley i think or some other like low lower ta- or mid to low table mid to lower t- level teams sorry but yeah so i think overall um uh, this is what i expected throughout the season um just i know we're side the soul shot very first year um so i are not gonna win a title or anything like that but uh, I think pushing for Europe is where what I expected us to be and then we're definitely on that spot right now on the momentum. And I and towards like I think we're gonna make it to the top four just barely though. I think it's come to the last day of the season. So that's my thoughts so far.
0: Right. And it's, I mean, we're. I'm kind of looking at their remaining fixtures uh, to mm-hmm. end the season. And that Leicester uh, fixture to end the season seems like that's going to be the deciding factor in terms of whether or yeah. not that's going to be, um, whether or not it's going to be Leicester or Man U qualifying mm-hmm. for Europe. And obviously there's a caveat to that. Um, we're mm-hmm. waiting to hear about Manchester City's uh, ban in Europe, whether or not mm-hmm. that's upheld. Um, I believe we're going to hear about that in mid July. July,
1: so, July thir- 13, I think. Yeah, so, July 13. So,
0: a little less than a week for that. So, Manchester United will know exactly what they need to do to uh, make a push and qualify mm-hmm. for Europe. Um, it's what. Like and Leicester honestly, if you're looking at them in and their recent form, they've kind of struggled since the since the restart of yeah. um of the season. And I think Manchester United has a really good shot in terms of qualifying for Europe, whether it be uh the top four or the top you know, the modified top five because of Man City's mm-hmm. financial fair play stuff. Um what do you think has been the change from before the restart where the, it, it didn't seem like they were going to be in it at all um, in terms of possibly qualifying for Europe or and, and then kind of like the change um, once the start restart happened?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um... Honestly, I really don't know what happened. It's all just just clicked right after the restart. I, I don't. I didn't really expect this to happen at all, but uh, I think Solsar. He, I think he knows how to like manage his players pretty well. On um, rotates his uh, side out really well too. Um, I think he learned a lot of man management stuff from Sir Alex. I think because they I'm pretty sure they talk on a daily basis. So um, he has a really good foundation, really good coaching behind him too, um, and. I don't know. That's what I think so far. And honestly, talk about the top yeah, talk about the top four race. I I wanted to like talk about that too. Um so I think Chelsea is third, Leicester's fourth, United's fifth, and Wolves are sixth. I think two of those four will make it to the top four. Um and I think I don't know if you know that from the last day of the season they all play each other, so it's gonna be a really roller coaster on the last day, so Um, looking forward to that too and I think Chelsea they play Liverpool uh, that's probably their biggest um, I guess biggest fixture as well as I think Wolves plays uh, never mind yeah so yeah so that's my thoughts yeah and I I just
0: think one of the really interesting things as the run-up to the seasons you know closing down and everything is you kind of mentioned it on the last day of the season like to write it up like this, how Wolves and Chelsea and Man- Manu versus uh, Leicester to end yeah. to be the last fixture of the season, and could you imagine if like it's set up where the winners of mm-hmm. those games determine who goes mm-hmm. to Europe and who doesn't? That would yeah, just be, be extremely exciting, and also just like all the mm-hmm. financial implications of what Absolutely. is brought to in terms of like TV rights <laughs> and things like that. That could be just a massive game, um, especially like for a team like Wolves, who's never really been in this type of position before. Um, mm-hmm. It can be a really fascinating race to see what happens. But I, I, one of the things that I did want to focus on and go talk about specifically with Manchester United was one of the things that I did start to notice, um, you know, coming back from the restart, was it seems like um, Ole's been giving uh, Mason Greenwood a lot more opportunities in place of Daniel James and whether or not that's kind of unlocked something different or something special um, to their offense that maybe James wasn't able to uh, provide for Manchester United going forward and whether or not you know, Daniel James is a little bit too one-dimensional in terms of some of his attacking play. And do you think some of there's some thoughts there whether or not uh, Paul Pogba coming back into the fold has kind of changed uh, things? And we also really didn't even mention Bruno Fernandez, who's kind of been yeah. this revelation for Manchester
1: United. Yeah, big talisman. Um, yeah, so. Um, for Daniel James, at least, I'm personally not the biggest fan of him. Well, him at least starting, uh, I don't think he's a, a, f- a starting eleven type of a player. He's definitely an impact stuff to coming off the bench, adding a lot of pace, like when the defenders are tired and stuff like that. So, I think Greenwood is overall a lot better player than James already. um Greenwood, like I've known about him for like three or four years now. I mean, even like the under sixteen, he's just banging like. 30 40 goals a season like like it's nothing so um, and then he can use both feet as well so equally so defenders They can't really like know which way he's going to go because he can shoot equally and then you saw his goals in the past few games Like left foot right foot header. Uh, you name it. He can score and uh, Paul pogba and bruno fernandez man like they're they're looking up really well together right now It's just very fluid. Um, I think paul at least I think we're really seeing like him being like, more of a box-to-box midfielder, which uh, I've been wanting to see. Like even at, like Jose, Jose Mourinho, he was more of like a defensive midfielder. He never really like like went up to attack or anything. So I'm just glad he can just roam around freely. And then Bruno just pretty much links up the mid the, the midfield and the uh, attack. And yeah, he's been probably like most important player so far, Bruno Fernandez. Uh, he just pretty much sticks everything together, and it's a very slick. And really good to see so far.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that, you know, the January signing of Fernandez has kind of like really unlocked their offense and being able to have that amount of time off due to COVID has kind Mm -hmm. of allowed Ole to implement a lot more of his principles and a lot of players are coming back we're coming back from injury and there were a lot of players that were injured on and off. And there was like a shortage of, of attackers um, for a while for Manchester United with Martial being hurt. Rashford was hurt for a bit too. Um, A lot of these players were in and out of the lineup. And I think being able to have that time to be able to get across his principles, get some of these guys healthy um has really allowed Manchester United to kind of come in with this clear vision and goal moving forward to end the season to hopefully uh crack the top 4 top 5 and grab a spot in Europe. Um I'm I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious to know your thoughts kind of moving into the off season uh you know whether or not they make it to Europe regardless of that and kind of looking at the transfer type of uh, window for Man U and some of the plans that they possibly might have um, going into next season, because there is a shorter layoff um, going into next year. What Mm -hmm. do you think Manchester United needs in terms of players to bring in? Um, And I, I mean, I have a couple names to throw at you in terms of like, uh, names that have been tossed around um, in the in the rumor mill so are there any yeah. are there any like positions of players or specific players that um, that you would want as a fan of Manu? U
1: yeah uh, good question so I think maybe before the restart if you ask me that question I would definitely think of replacing Daniel James uh, with like Jaden Sancho we've been heavily linked with them for the past couple of months now um, I think it's going to happen um, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't but I think it's going to happen uh, which I'm okay with he looked pretty hungry player um, I'm, I mean City pretty much let Manchester City pretty much let him go so I think he kind of has like a chip on his shoulder as well to kind of prove him wrong um, and we've also been linked with like I think Jack Grealish from Villa as well as James Madison from Leicester so I'm, I don't think we really need a central a cam or central attacking midfielder because we got Bruno now. So I don't think they don't want to sit on the bench just be his backup. So that's probably low on a totem pole. But after Sancho, I think we really need a left-footed center back. That's like our main one of our main priorities because I mean Harry Maguire, he's good, but he needs he needs a good partner. And Lindelof, not I'm not convinced with Lindelof or Baye or Eric Baye, So. Uh, we've been linked with a couple people. I think uh, someone from AC Milan, Roman he's a left wing inside so the center back. I think he's their captain, too. Um, but, yeah, that's what I definitely want to see. A center back as well as Jaden Sancho, I think that could definitely be the final puzzle piece in what we're trying to build to hopefully a title contending team within the next two years or so. So, Fingers crossed.
0: Right, and I think you kind of touched upon it in terms of like the the timeline or the window of this team and what maybe the board kind of sees. She's coming, especially with. I mean, over the past couple of years, there's there's been a lot of, I don't know how to put it, but a lot of suspect transfers. Uh, but in terms of there being a lot of disagreements with Mourinho when he was there. Um with the board and Ed Woodward, and who is being brought in, is there this sense of confidence now that everyone at Man U is like on the same page in terms of who to bring in uh to figure out okay, we need to have this cohesive um the cohesive mindset cohesive uh vision to kind of uh get the guys that we want coming in that fit into Ole's system um is there that kind of confidence in the board or is there a little bit of trepidation still because of what has happened in the past couple of years
1: yeah good question um so in terms of like the board i don't know if you know the structure or not of our club but ed woodward he's like the executive vice vice chairman so he pretty much called up the shots and if you know his background he's not a football slash soccer guy he's not a sports guy he's like a he's an accountant so he has like no ups, like technical football knowledge at all so he replaced uh, back in 2013 david gill who, who was sir alex ferguson um, And he had a really, really, really bad start, put it that way. Like, he messed a lot of things up. He didn't know the right people to talk to, to sign players or whatnot. Um, and then he's been doing that for almost, almost seven years now. And he failed consistently every single year in the transfer market. He overplayed for players like Di Maria. He paid like 80-some million do- U.S. dollars for him and then sold him the next year or so. Um, it's been really tough uh, watching this as a as a fan obviously, but I think within the last year or so, um, uh, especially starting this year, I think Ed Woodward he kinda just backed off and focused on more of like the actual like financial side of the club. But he let Ole and his assistant coaches like scout scout their players and pretty much sign off on the players that he wanted pretty much. So I think in that way we're I guess moving in the right direction. Um I'm still not a fan of the owners, either the Glazers or Ed Woodward, obviously, but the fact that they're kind of backing off a little bit kind of gives me hope and letting the coach himself or close himself make all the decisions of who to bring in and whatnot. So I think in that sense, we're slowly heading in the right direction, hopefully.
0: Right. And I mean, there's just like a couple of guys, like you brought up De Maria, but even on this current team, like paying Fred, I think getting Fred in here for like, I, I it was like,
1: Sixty seven million dollars, I think. Yeah. Some crazy
0: amount. Um, who's on the bench. Like there's just guys on the bench that don't even really play and they were brought in to kind of do this job. Um and you know, Bayi was kind of brought in, he doesn't really start um that much. Right. So there's just a lot of things that I think um kind of bring a lot of questions with whether or not the board can do a good enough job, but You know, with Bruno Fernandes coming into the fold, I think there's, it's slowly changing and this, this transfer window and whether or not, you know, with all the COVID stuff and all the financial aspects to that and whether or not that has an effect in terms of whether these big clubs like Man U uh it doesn't seem like Chelsea's slowing down in terms of bringing players in mm-hmm. in terms of who they're bringing in with Warren Werner and uh Zayich. but i wonder if that impacts some of the transfer window and slows down the amount of money that is going to be poured into this specific window to kind of let mm-hmm. um teams recover but i totally agree with you to kind of get we, we've kind of gone down this hole but to get back to the original point of who who you were to bring in, um Jaden Sancho as a as a Liverpool fan and as a rival of Manchester United, I would be absolutely terrified if he went to Manchester United. And I do agree that um man you definitely need some some cent another center back to pair with Harry Maguire. Um, I'm not exactly sure who that would be on the market right now. You did mention, I believe, um, I forget what his name was, who you mentioned. Yeah, Romanogli. Or someone like, uh, I know Kulabali's been kind of thrown out there for a lot of different things, but he seems like he might be overpriced for a lot of things. Yeah,
1: he's 29 years old right now.
0: Right. So I'm not exactly sure if that's a viable option. One of the Mm -hmm. other one of the other things that I'd be kind of curious um, to see is whether or not Manchester United brings in someone uh, that's more of like a traditional nine center forward. um, kind, Like someone like Lukaku, who is kind of banged in, tw- I think close to 20 goals in Italy this year. Like I I feel like in some ways this year, they kind of missed – a little bit of that before this whole restart happened in terms of someone that could have some hold up play um up top for them and then have runners off of uh someone like Lukaku, but maybe maybe someone a little bit more mobile than him but can still ha- still has the ability to hold up play is I think gonna be important for Manu to vary up their attack just in case, like if Marshall and Rashford and Greenwood don't really have it going on a particular day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of tricky. Cause I think for our forwards, at least, I think we're okay. Like Rashford can play there and Marshall obviously can play there. Um, and I think Sancho, he kind of plays somewhere in the center sometimes too, but more, more on the, on the right wing, obviously. So I'm not too worried about that currently. I think we have other issues like center back or whatnot that we need to address. That's that's more important uh, for the club at least. So that's just my opinion. Um, Others might think differently, but yeah, I don't really see a need for a striker currently. Martial, he has 15 Premier League goals. So does Rashford as well. And Greenwood, he's only 18 has eight already eight goals as well. But I think, they're good at the hold up play too. I think Martial he can put up a, a little bit more muscle to, I guess, hold up, hold up, do the hold up play. And Rashford he can do that pretty easily too. So I don't see like a like a big need right there currently, from what I see.
0: Yeah, and I I just think it it would be kind of nice to bring someone in just to like vary up the attack in terms of because I think a lot of those front three while they're versatile. And can switch positions fairly well and fairly easily. Uh, There sometimes are games where Manu has looked flat this year with that combination of of players and speed that I think would benefit from a different style of play from time to time, depending on who the opponent is. But I mean, it's good point. I, I think. I think Man U's well on their way to kind of um, and and the and the fixtures to end the season really set up for them well um, in terms of kind of versing a lot of these mid-table to lower-table teams um, before that before the end of the season against Leicester um, to really make that push for Europe and I think scare a lot of the the top two teams in City and Liverpool, who, as a Liverpool fan, I have not been able to mention that this is the first podcast since Liverpool has clinched uh, the EPL, the Premier League crown. So um, I'm going to wow. get on my soapbox a little bit and gloat a little bit. But Go it's
1: definitely
0: it's definitely been awesome to see Liverpool um, finally get it done after... 30 years or so, quote, 29, 30 years. And it's just a really exciting time for Liverpool in terms of the prime of this roster is still there that there can, there's these players, especially the front three in Mane, Salah, and Firmino are 28, all like 28. So uh, there's a couple years left where they can be at their tip top shape. Um, in terms of sustaining this success. And we all know how difficult it is to repeat as premier league champions um, from year to year. I mean, you look at a team like man city and that team looks pretty much unstoppable with the amount of depth they have. And even this year, they fell behind 20, 23, 20 ish points uh, behind Liverpool. So it's, it's pretty hard to imagine a repeat performance in that, but the fact that someone like Jurgen Klopp can come in um, and you know have this turnaround in the in the span of four or five years or so is really an encouraging sign. And I think that should kind of give some solace to a lot of these Man U fans um, and kind of riding out the wave, regardless of how it is going for the pat for the next couple of years with ole just to kind of give him a chance and i don't know if you've noticed this but i mean in european football there's obviously a huge amount of pressure to stay up um and and stay competitive in the top leagues and a lot of times these coaches don't get the benefit of the doubt to be able to you know get the amount of time they need to create the roster they want and create uh the type of play they want, so I'm curious to know from your point of view, and maybe you can relate this to man U, mm-hmm. whether or not these managers should be getting more and more time to be able to implement their system, or is there or is there this kind of like or is Europe just kind of doing it the right way right now
1: all right mm-hmm. uh, yeah, first of all, congratulations, Kevin. On I just Liverpool I just winning. really
0: wanted to hear a Manchester United fan say that because as an aside congratulations my, again. Yeah. All my <laughs> friends the the two friends that I usually have on the podcast Hedging and Tyler mm-hmm. they've refused to go on a podcast with me as Man United fans <laughs> uh since the restart has happened because they <laughs> don't want to inevitably face the music. So I do I do give you props daniel for coming onto the pod uh yeah. swallowing the tough pill and um giving props where it is due so thank you for absolutely. that
1: absolutely uh, yeah so i uh, just kind of a uh, little bit of a tangent but uh, i i know like the feeling of winning like a championship you've been, like longing for pretty much like your whole life pretty much so like i think i made say maybe like 28, 28 years old or something like that so I know For me, at least it's kind of like a tangent, but I'm a big ice hockey fan and I love the Washington Capitals And when we finally won the Stanley Cup two years ago, like that feeling of just winning a championship You long for for your entire life and after all the heartbreaks at year after year and Finally lifting that trophy like that's like one of the best teams that you you can ever have honestly so congratulations kevin i know oh, it hurts for me to say that but i'm gonna just clip this out <laughs> congratulations play,
0: i'm gonna just replay it to myself over and over again
1: <laughs> yeah i oh, know for real though like like liverpool they were pretty much on i mean you said guys should have won it last year but man city they just pretty much were unstoppable too at the same time but like the team like it's like the most like complete team we've seen in a long time i think i guess man city kind of but they can't with the champions league and liverpool obviously won the champions league last year too so like it's the most complete team i've seen since like the late ferguson eras in my opinion especially for the Premier league at least um so like props to you like definitely deserve it um so and going back to like your original question like do you manage it Get, deserve to get more time. Um, I mean, you he, he saw the fruit of it for Klopp. I mean, for for the first couple of years, it was pretty pretty hard to watch, right? Like,
0: no, it was think, definitely hard to watch. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was.
1: Yeah, I think he went to the Europa League final. I think, and he lost there or like tw- was it twice? Something like that. Yeah, right, but he like,
0: lost once. Yeah, he lost once uh, in the Europa League final. Um, he, I mean, I think in his first year, he ended up finishing like somewhere around eight on the the table I think yeah I think I believe it was eighth or ninth so it's not like he was lighting the world on fire um like he really needed to kind of make wholesale changes with some of the guys that were brought in um Mm -hmm. before him and really clean house a little bit and bring in some of the guys that he he wanted and one of the things that I think have been a real positive have been just being able to give him the space and the time to be able to develop these players.
1: Yeah. I think, um, I think when you walk out onto Anfield, you know, that what's that sign called that you never walk alone. I think that picture or whatever, Mm -hmm. I think he like, like made the, like he wouldn't let the players touch it unless they won a title. I think that Mm -hmm. that shows a lot of, a lot of balls in my opinion, like some for someone to do that, like, you don't deserve to touch this because you, you haven't won anything it's like what's the point of touching it like you, you're like just tracing, like the whole like history of the club in a way so i think that like mindset um like it takes time to like plant those seeds and like watch them like grow to fruition in a way so i'm glad he, like i'm not glad actually but it's glad to see a manager getting time at least to like I guess plan his like style of play and get his own players in that he wants for his team. And Liverpool gave him that opportunity. Um, I think they're still owned by the, Fen- the Boston Red Sox owners, like the Fenway people. I think. Right? Yeah, Fenway Group. Yeah. Y- yeah, I think I think they had a shaky history too. Like where they didn't really care about the club at all and stuff like that, right?
0: Mm-hmm. That was. Uh, yeah. That was definitely a point of contention as well in terms of these American investors and owners, um, whether or not they actually. Cared about Liverpool or whether whether or not it was more of a shiny asset for them, um, and whether or not they were always going to play second fiddle to uh, the the main asset within the portfolio for the Fenway Group being the Red Sox.
1: Yeah. And like even like Arsenal, you can even go there, like Stan Kroenke, I think he owns like the LA Rams, I think. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't care about the club at all. You can definitely see it on the on the pitch as well as even on the table in the table too. Like he puts in like no money into the club. He doesn't care about it at all. Like even when they went to the Europa League final, I think last year against Chelsea, like he didn't even show up. Like no one really from the ownership showed up. That just shows like how much like <laughs> how much he cares about the club in a way. So um, yeah. So, and even for United, they're owned by the Glazers, obviously. Even going back to that, like they're American owners, they own the Tampa Bay Bucks, so that's definitely their priority. So, and then you have clubs like Manchester City and Chelsea, like they get pumped money left, right, and center from their owners. So, yeah, it's just, it's just uh, like going back to original point. It's good to see a manager getting time from from their owners or giving the time uh, to develop this team and. There you have it. Your yeah, and I think Champion I th- League winners, Premier League winners. I mean, it,
0: it honestly feels great, but I think one of the things that I really wanted to highlight with this team was the the contrast and the differences between kind of like Man City and Chelsea over the past couple of years winning titles and then Liverpool winning a title. And I mean, Chelsea and you kind of mentioned how Chelsea and Man City have been very over the over this very recent history, being known as clubs to really pump in money and bring in, like not really caring about who they bring in, in terms of the amount of money they pump into the club. And Liverpool was very judicious about the amount of money that they spent um Until they got to that final hurdle and had to and bought Van Dyke and Allison to kind of round out and complete the squad. But even before that, like buying Salah, buying Mane, buying Firmino, like that that front three wasn't like a hundred million dollars or seventy five, even seventy five million dollars for each player. Like Salah was brought in for a modest thirty million. I believe Firmino was brought in for like pennies basically in comparison to what he was
1: what he from Hoffenheim, right? Right,
0: for from Hoffenheim. And Mane was brought in from Southampton. So like a lot of a lot of these players were like players that while um they were good players, like I don't think People really imagine them being the foundation of a team that would carry um, Liverpool Liverpool to the heights that we've seen in terms of um, mm-hmm. you know Champions League um, champions and then Premier League champions. Um, mm-hmm. Salah was was a struggle. He like struggled in his previous english premier league experience prior to coming to liverpool um right at chelsea and then he went out to roma and and then he wasn't like when i when he came in i was like oh okay i don't really know too much about this guy um but i guess we're building bringing these pieces on and then he started having an amazing year Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: like the thing was yeah yeah, sorry go
1: yeah. yeah going back to your front three i want to make this point where Klopp, is amazing manager, like, Salah came from, like, a mid-table. AS Romo's the kind of, like, I guess, top mid-table in Syria. Uh, Firmino, he came from Hoffenheim, their mid-table in Bundesliga. And then Mane came from Southampton, which is obviously like a mid-table team in the, in the Premier League. And he elevated those players up to elite status almost. That they're all, like, <laughs> ridiculous players in their own right, honestly. Like, Firmino, he's a good false nine player. Um, and then you got a lot of speed with Mane and Salaam and then, uh, it hurts me saying that again gosh but um, yeah like all credit to Jurgen. like he definitely changed the whole culture around the club I think your pre was Brendan Rogers right yeah before him yeah. yeah and like yeah I'm not sure I'm not too like familiar what went on over there but it, it looked like it didn't go that great from what it looks like so yeah
0: I mean Rogers had his moments. like there was that famous I, and I can't believe I'm recounting this, but the famous <laughs> DVG slip that was under Rogers' oh, watch. <laughs> uh, so it's not like Rogers had like moments where like he was like I thought he was going to bring bring Liverpool a title and during that season, but like mm-hmm. it just kind of shows the amount like how good Klopp has been in bringing Liverpool to these new heights. And we've also kind of seen Rodgers not like at Leicester kind of doing his thing at Leicester not being like him being like a fairly decent manager. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of like a really interesting thing to, to look back at. And, you know, like a lot of the things that this team has had, like, Philippe Coutinho, who was like one of these premier players that Liverpool had, and they sold him to Barcelona for a hefty amount of money, like those like hundred million, I think, right? Right. Those funds were recycled and ended up get, giving them, I believe, mm-hmm. a better shot at winning the Premier League title and the Champions League title when they brought in Van Dijk and uh, Allison. And I think those two pieces really rounded out the squad and eventually gave them a lot of a lot moving forward and that stability in the back because of like I'm recounting a lot of the things that happened over the past four to five years, but that Loris Carius like Champions League final oh, where great. they ended up losing to Real Madrid was one of those moments where they're like, okay, we kind of need someone to 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 replace Karius and then they need some, they needed some center back stability um, with Lovren or Matip kind of being the guy that needed to kind of head, head over the bench. And I think that's what gave me confidence over the past couple of years, having those two guys be back there and have that sure handedness. And there, and, and also we didn't even really highlight the fullbacks and, Robert
1: that actually
0: Ale- Alexander yeah. Arnold who have been unbelievable and probably two of the best outside fullbacks for um Liverpool yeah. ever play basically <laughs> and and close to and probably one the uh, probably the best right back, left back pairing in the world uh right now in the club in the club uh, stages.
1: Yeah, and going back to, like, my point earlier, like, with Klopp, I think, what did Trent Allen, he came from the academy, right? T- Al- yep, McDonald. he came from
0: the a- yeah, academy.
1: Academy, and then Rob Robertson came from, like, Hall City, I think, right? Yep. $7 yeah, million like, both, dollars like,
0: or something. Yeah, Seven
1: both like, $10 really, like like, low, low, I think they're a championship club. They're a championship club now. Like, right. what Klopp could do with those, with people from the academy, obviously, as well as, like I said, mid-table or, or championship players, and elevate them to like the next level is it's really it's remarkable in my opinion like it's of like the kind of manager he is like he can take nobody's and this like convince them enough that they're good enough and then i don't know. <laughs> i hate saying this man
0: <laughs> yeah and i mean but, i mean yeah yeah it's like and then one of the guys that like i was one of the bigger detractors of um jordan henderson and like what he brought to liverpool and the fact that he's basically done done and won more than uh, club legend Stephen Gerrard has won at Liverpool as a captain is kind of stunning to think about. And obviously there's a lot of different pieces and things, mechanisms that go around that that make it different. But it's pretty incredible to think how I thought about Jordan Henderson three to four years ago. Um mm-hmm. in comparison to what he is now as the club captain is pretty um astonishing to think about. And uh yeah, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna bore you to death with more Liverpool. <laughs> it's fine, soccer. Man. I love <laughs> talking
1: I love talking soccer.
0: But it's definitely uh one of those things that I'm extremely excited about, uh to kind of see that and just like a lot of things that are ahead of them with the possibility of this team going down as one of the best Premier League teams
1: ever. Whoa, um, whoa, 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 it, whoa, whoa, hold up. Well, whoa.
0: just statistically, <laughs> if they're able to yeah. to win out and be able to to be able to have the points record, go undefeated at home without losing a game, um, just there's just a lot of things in front of them still that I wonder if you know, and we've seen over the last couple of games where they've struggled in terms of keeping that intensity up they've lost they lost four zip to manchester city um there's just been some struggles there everton gave them uh you know oh, a true. scare in the mary side side derby with his, uh, a zero draw right that lost to Watford. <laughs> so like it could have been like a really special season but i think um regardless it's it's an incredible year um to kind of think about and i'm i'm curious to see how they end up finishing this season
1: mm-hmm. one I of things- quick question for you though yeah okay. go ahead a quick question for you so liverpool like you got all the all these tro- like, trophies that you've been like longing for obviously and then you got another champion league under your under your cabinet too like with your front three where do you go from here like they're gonna be like 30 soon like where are you gonna go from here
0: yeah i I think there's a lot of questions as to what to do with this front three. Uh, There's a lot of rumors swirling as to Real Madrid trying to bring in Sadio Mane um, and buy him. So I I wonder if they're going to have a huge hole um, there on the left wing. Um, There's a lot of questions as to like what to do with this front three, because they are 28, getting closer to 30, uh, which means they're going to be getting closer and closer out of their prime. So there they definitely needs to be a lot of um, talk as to who else to bring in. There was a lot of talk as to whether or not Timo Werner was going to end up coming to mm-hmm. Liverpool, who ended up going to Chelsea. And that was one of those that could have been really interesting in terms of, rotating out different players um it's it's really hard i think to think about because a lot of these guys that are um that like what's the struggle here is that those three players are so good that whoever they bring in, it's going to be really tough to fit all of those players on the field Mm. and have that type of versatility. So I'm curious to see whether or not they just hold on to these guys. And then maybe if they sell one off and then they bring in a like player um, Mm. just to kind of replace them, because it's really tough to kind of tell Mane or Salah or Firmino to be like, Hey, you're going to be sitting some like, some of these games um, because Klopp has really not done too much rotation uh, with the squad um, actually and just kind of kept it as like fairly the same starting 11 throughout the year um, especially in all the big games so I'm mm-hmm. curious to see what ends up happening uh, with those guys but I I really don't know um, and I'm mm-hmm. not exactly sure but all I have to say is, in you're going to be trust. Um, that's like, that's all I, I can really say, especially with the results that we've gotten over the past two years or so. Um, mm-hmm. Hopping around to a couple of different other Premier League teams that I think have some really interesting storylines to kind of finish out the year. Um, and someone that's kind of connected um, peripherally to both of us is, US men's national team great Christian Pulisic who's kind of been lighting it up for Chelsea um yes. and has brought a lot of excitement into my life um just watching him you know selfishly as a US men's national team fan selfishly tracking his progression and he's re- like he's had a lot of ups and downs um to start the year he wasn't getting it in on the team sheet in the starting 11 um, he had that hot streak for a bit where he ended up having that hat trick and then ended up scoring a couple of goals. And then he cooled off for a long time and then got injured. And then after he came back from the restart, he's really turned it on and has gotten some opportunities recovered from injuries. And he's, I believe scored, um, in the past three games or, or three out of the past three out of the four games um, he's scored and he's and in the game that he didn't score and he contributed with a couple of assists so he's really looked dynamic for Chelsea over the past four games since the restart um, I don't know if you've had a chance to catch Chelsea or seen what Christian Pulisic has done but what are your thoughts about him and uh, possibly the excitement he brings to a lot of U.S. men's national team fans.
1: Yeah, Christian um, pulisic he's definitely, um, I think he's the face of the U.S. men national team right now. Like, he's an upcoming, I mean, he's a star al- already, in my opinion. But um, just going off like his statistics, uh, um, so in his past two seasons with Dortmund, he had eight league goals. And then already this year, he has eight league goals at Chelsea. So, that just shows like he's definitely improving obviously Um, but I, I haven't watched too much of him to me to be honest But from what it looks like he can definitely score goals obviously from from obviously the score sheet but and he's a Good pacey winger as well. So he definitely Like I said in the beginning like I think lampard dropped him for a few games and tell him. Hey, you got you got to earn your chance Now like you guys sh- you're gonna be on the bench, but when you get when you get your shot You better take it. So He's definitely taken a shot from what you can see. Um, yeah, so that's all I really know about Christian, honestly.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, this Chelsea team has really looked solid uh, since the restart. I think they had a hiccup against West Ham, who's battling right re- relegation right now, uh, where yeah. they ended up losing. But um, this overall, the Chelsea team has looked fairly good. Um, since the restart and they have a lot of guys coming in into next year we mentioned Werner uh, I mentioned Zayic who's coming in as well so I, I think they're going to have some really interesting attacking options um, next year and I, I, I wonder if Lampard Lampard has really kind of done a really good job um for Chelsea um especially with the Maurizio Sarri like who who would have thought like <laughs> Lampard would have done this well with the transfer bans that Chelsea had to go through and basically had to promote a lot of these youngsters from within uh Tammy Abraham has played fairly well for them this year uh Mason Mount um Ruben Loftus-Cheek like we're talking and like their their center back pairing, um, of Rudiger and, uh, Tamari was like there for a little bit, but, um, Christensen, like they've really kind of promoted a lot of their younger, uh, players that has, that they've had on loan for a while, um, and really have brought them up this season. So it's really interesting to kind of see the youth movement that is going on in Chelsea. Um, one of the things that we all, that a player that's also kind of somewhat related to us in in with Korean blood is uh, Son Heung-min, who's really been a really interesting player for Tottenham this season. What are your thoughts on him? I don't know if you saw that thing that ended up happening yesterday, and we're recording this on a Tuesday night around eight thirty. But last yesterday during the game that they had against Everton, um, Hugo Lloris ended up kind of getting into it with uh, Son, and, like, is is a little bit of Jose, is that the Jose Mourinho effect kind of rubbing off on this Tottenham team, and, uh, like, is, was that giving you kind of, like, I don't know, were you like smiling while you're kind of watching Tottenham <laughs> fall apart because now you don't have to deal with Jose anymore? Um what were your thoughts on all the Tottenham stuff that's been happening? Yeah. Uh
1: I think first I think Lori's had a right to be mad at him. Um I think we I think MBC they showed like a, the sky cam and then apparently like Sonny like son like, I mean he lost the ball or something and he didn't track back um and then Richardson got like a free shot on goal pretty much or try to shoot but i think lori's had a right to be mad at him because like you, as a as a sport you got to track back and do your defending too and then i think also the fact that they didn't have any fans in the stadium too like they just let it out all right on the field um usually like stuff like that that happens in the dressing room or the locker room um people just hatch out at each other but then at, when the half started again they hugged each other so it's all forgotten so i think it's 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 a one-off. I think that stuff happens. You're both competitive players, you know. So, yeah, I think. I I mean, as like a player himself, Sonny, I I love him to death. Like he's definitely the face of the Korean national team. And then I think I remember seeing him over at Hamburg about ten years ago. And I just had this dream. This guy's gonna be one of the best Korean players we ever see. And then he definitely progressed into that going from like Hamburg playing there and then to Leverkusen and then getting him to Tottenham a few years ago. Where he really blossomed. I mean, I think he... I think he gets the top Asian score in in EPL history, I think, already. So, um, really good player. Um, And I just hope he can get an Asian Cup, maybe, hopefully, in the next next two years or so. uh, Just like round out his career. Um, And not going to lie, I kind of hope to get him over Sancho in a way because obviously a little biased here, but that's probably not going to happen. But definitely something to wish for,
0: yeah. I mean, I would welcome him with open arms at Liverpool as well. So, mm-hmm. um, it's no, I just think it's really interesting. Oh, I mean, kind of going through some of the texts that I've had with some of my friends who are Manchester United fans that kind of were you know, suffering through the Jose Mourinho era, they kind of look at what is going on at Tottenham. Like, yeah, that's exactly what we dealt with for basically a year and a half or so um, at Manchester United. So I, I'm curious to see what, how that ends up happening and whether Daniel Levy is going to be more supportive of Mourinho's transfer window and the things that Mourinho asked for in comparison to his time at Manchester United and his relationship with Woodward. So that's gonna be interesting to monitor. They seem to be kind of out of it in terms of possibly challenging for Europe. Um especially yeah. with five games left. It's gonna be pretty difficult for them um to make a challenge there. So I'm I, I think it's going to be interesting to see which types of players they end up bringing in um, and some of, and whether or not there there's a lot of questions as to who's going to be staying, who's going to be going um, on that team as well. Um, But yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's been like a very interesting time for a lot of these
1: Absolutely. teams. And,
0: um, yeah, I don't know if there were any other teams that you kind of wanted to touch upon uh, before we before he slowly mm-hmm. closed out the pods,
1: Yeah. So talk about Jose, at least. Um, like, at one point, he was considered one of the best managers out there. Um, but I think he's lost his touch. Like, it's a different era of football uh, from 10 years ago, obviously. Like, different... Players, or obviously different players, but different like personalities and whatnot. Like, like even if you go back to his managerial like career, like his big win was at Porto. He went to Champions League there. He was there all all there for two years, then Chelsea for three years, Inter for two years, and Real Madrid three years, Chelsea two years, United two years, and now Tottenham. Like very short stints. So it just shows you that he, all he really cares about. Is the result like he'll pay, play some boring, boring ass soccer, just sitting, sitting defensive and just playing for the counter and whatnot, just just going for the draw or something. So it kind of drains like a lot of the moment, like the energy within the club at least. And then he ended up just falling out in his like last season, just getting then getting sacked. So I think. I don't think we'll ever see Jose win a major trophy ever again, in my opinion. So it's kind of sad because in his in his brights like best days, he was one of the greatest managers around. So it's kind of sad to see it, it tumble tumble. So yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that you mentioned there is like the t- style of play that Jose ends up kind of um, administering to his team is it's very counter to a lot of what teams are doing in terms of high pressing um, and really um, kind of being on the front foot in terms of imposing their will on the game in comparison to what Jose does is like, really think about the counterattack, defending with, um, Defend, the, be, defense being the foundation of the team, and then from there, once they know their defensive principles, knowing how to, how and when to counterattack is kind of his style of play. And you did mention like the short stints from Jose, but even like at Manchester United, while he didn't have like the most amazing success there, and he I, I believe he won like a League Cup or FA Cup with them and finished second right finished second that that one year. Mm -hmm. Like, even just thinking about the construction of that Manchester United team and the team that finished second, it's kind of amazing that even think about how that team finished second with the the results that they've had over the past five years or so. or, Or since Sir Alex had has retired
1: yeah i think Jose even said himself like him coming second place with that kind of squad is like his greatest achievement like ever as a manager and that just says a lot to what the board think or what the board thinks about the club for united at least so um yeah so he like i said very draining 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 manager um and it's it's sad to see honestly like he's Obviously considered one of the greatest of all time, he won Champions League with Porto. You know, like who does that? Um, so I don't know. It's just sad to see.
0: Yeah, it's it's. I'm curious to see whether or not he updates the level of football with a with an off season with Tottenham, and if he's able to come in with fresh ideas because. I mean, he ended up coming in the middle of season with Pochettino getting uh, sacked in the middle of the year. So I wonder if he's able to make his imprint on this team um, going into next year. One last question that I wanted to ask you before I let you go is mm-hmm. it seems like obviously Liverpool are the champions and Man City seem to have a pretty solid hold on second uh, with five, four or five games to go. Out of Chelsea, Leicester, Manu, Wolves, who are you tapping as the teams that end up getting those spots um, for uh, or finishing third and
1: fourth? Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a curveball, but I think Chelsea are gonna fall out of top four. Interesting. Okay. Wow. I was going to go with that. I, I think it would be United third, Leicester force, Chelsea, and then Wolves to close it out. Um,
0: that would be a really I think fascinating. I um, that Liverpool game is going to be really
1: important. That Liverpool and Chelsea game is going to be really important because I'm sure Liverpool going to play their strongest 11, I'm, I'm going to assume, or hopefully at least, and then they're going to want to go ahead and kick Chelsea out of the Champions League spot. So. I'm gonna go with United third, Leicester fourth, Chelsea fifth, Wolves sixth. Got it. Yeah, and And they still might make the Champions League. It depends on Man City's band. So
0: yeah, (laughs) yeah. So who knows? Um, Yeah, I would kind of love it if Wolves were to, you know, find a way to make it in, but it seems like it'll be really tough. Um, Yeah, I mean, I've been telling all my Man U friends like, even though Liverpool's wrapped this thing up like i have so much else to root for root against um rooting you know got to start the hashtag uh hashtag venue six uh would be fairly <laughs> amazing if that ended up being the result but with the way they've been playing there's no curse to really worry about with that hashtag or with uh the jinx that i'm trying to put on them so um yeah it looks like right now it seems like Leicester's is the team that's might be faltering just because of like um, their recent run of form. They ended up tying um, Arsenal today. Barty ended up sc- scoring a game tying goal in the eighty minute the or way. so. Yep, uh, great goal. But I, I think Leicester is looking fairly shaky um, in terms of whether or not they're going to be able to hold on to um, a- one of those top four spots. Mm-hmm. And that is the team that I am thinking about having kind of fall out. Um, they had Bournemouth, Sheffield United, Spurs, and then Spurs. You, you, yeah. Yeah. And then United to close out the year. So that Spurs game is really important. It, Sheffield's been fairly good this year as well. So it's, it's going to be really fascinating to see how all of this shakes out. Um, I think it's gonna be Chelsea then United, Leicester, then Wolves to end the year. Exactly. So um but yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what happens. I'm actually rooting for some of the underdogs, so um hopefully <laughs> Wolves and Leicester can kinda of pull it out and see what ends up happening there.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, like I don't I'm trying to clip things up, but like Bournemouth, I know they're fighting relegation, so they're gonna be up for it and Spurs They play Leicester also, and they don't want to. They definitely want to make a difference, you know. Even they're not going to make a Champions League spot, but uh, they still have a good squad, you know. So it's going to be interesting. Last four or five games, for sure.
0: Yeah, last four or five games. All all the teams fighting for position at the top. All the teams fighting for position to avoid relegation at the bottom. Um, There's a lot of fascinating storylines there. So, uh, Daniel, thanks for coming on the for the first time and uh it wasn't too bad i wasn't too hard on you uh too hard <laughs> on the man U fan so thanks again All good for, man yeah thanks for coming on to the pod um you're always welcome back um i'll maybe i'll have you on once man U uh inevitably uh brings in <laughs> someone like Jaden sancho during the transfer window so thanks again uh for coming on dance girl But if you want to dance girl Just give me two drinks and I'll be busting out the best moves you are ever gonna see girl Watch me nay nay